greetings to each one this morning. It's part of the life of the church to deal with issues. And very fitting that we compare notes with each other and make some decisions. I have a message this morning that may seem redundant to some of us, but I just couldn't shift gears somehow, so here we are. If you were at Uncle John's funeral, Brother Wade brought a message that was um, an explanation of, of the soils and the seed and its production in the soils. That was Uncle John's request, if I remember right. Is that correct, Brother Wade? And it was interesting also that I didn't know that was coming, and I had the devotions that, that day, and I talked about the effect of water in, in fruit-bearing or in, in, in making the spiritual life productive. And Wade made the comment later that, well, that was interesting. They all went together. That it just seemed to be planned, not by us, but some other way. Well, after that message, I was—I um, wouldn't say accosted or or confronted, but almost by an outspoken person who let me know that Brother Wade was a false prophet. He was not. Um, teaching the, the gospel as he should. And he explained to me that, that he put too much emphasis on we can do things to affect our salvation and we can do things that um, please God when really it's just a matter of we believe in salvation and then the rest is taken care of by grace. Um, our sins are taken care of he named a couple sins. He said, they're really sins. They're bad sins. But he said, God's grace has already been there before the sin and it's been taken care of. Well, I realized that I was not going to argue with this person and set him straight. I knew that for two reasons. One was his emphasis and his, and his forthrightness at that moment. But I knew this individual over the years. And it's not an individual that you can change his mind. So I, I didn't even attempt to. Well, I did make a couple comments. I did. I challenged him, but not that I expected to change his mind. Then I got a phone call one morning next week. This person needed to say some more. And so he called to tell me one of the main and most important points he wanted to make was that God is, is a God of justice but his justice is, is kind of swept under the rug because of his grace. And so um, it, it was, it was uh, he, he just wanted to emphasize that and reiterate that. And I found this interesting because I haven't had much communication with this person for a number of years. But this kind of stirred him up. And, he, and, and I have come to realize that when a person who, like that, who believes that way, is challenged it makes them nervous because if they're wrong, they're really in trouble. And uh, he would never admit to that, but I've come, come to that conclusion. 
And so it kind of woke up that sleeping dog, so to speak, because years ago, this was a big discussion that he, he pushed his point, pushed his point, but I hadn't heard much at all for years, but it all came back to the, to the foreground again. I said uh, the grace covered it. Actually, it was uh, justice weighed against mercy. And he says, you know, God's mercy is in focus. Grace and mercy kind of blend together there in, in, in that context. But it's interesting that Brother Justin this morning kind of laid that equation out properly. And I was going to mention it. I'm going to mention it now uh, so you don't miss what he said. And that is that that there's justice and there's mercy. But what needs to come in between there so we don't face judgment and we experience God's mercy is repentance. And repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a way of life. And Justin brought that out so well this morning in the devotions. That it's, it's taking responsibility for our sins as we go. That's continual ongoing repentance we're not perfect we sin and God's justice is is there to to uh, for us to evaluate because we will answer to his judgment his law now this person said God is a God of justice he's a God of law but then he provided an attorney for me and that attorney has never lost a case he said that's what he told me in the phone call and he said you, you say you hire that attorney for you and then you don't trust him to win your cases for you? Well, I, I have to admit I don't if I never repent because that's the condition that our attorney works on for us is whether we repent or not. If we're not, repentant, our, if we're not repenting of our sins, then our attorney's hands are tied. He can't represent us because that's the basis that he represents us for mercy from God. So that's the background or an opening to the message this morning. And these thoughts going through my mind, plus another uh, interesting side uh, reality, and that is that this year we have experienced a pretty severe drought, and it has made me more aware of how important water is. And, and in my devotions at Uncle John's funeral, I talked about that when I watered my peach tree, it responded and it started really producing fruit. And that was, uh, I, I mentioned that then, that was continu that continued, that little saga, the peach saga continued. That peach tree continued to put on more peaches. I actually, I decided it was time to water it again one day and I did and then someone told me that <clears throat> peaches do better in a dry year. The peach, the fruit that they produce actually is, is higher quality in a dry year because uh, if, if that's, that's if there's enough water to actually fill them out. But if there's too much water, then the peaches get, uh, don't uh, keep well. They're kind of too soft, whatever. So I, I decided to quit watering it after that next watering. But it was enough that that peach tree put on at the funeral, I mentioned that I, it was put, putting on enough peaches that the branches, some of them were starting to break. They were bending down to the ground, and I had propped several limbs up with branches 
Well, after I watered it the next time, I actually had about 10 boards under there propping up different branches and some still broke. It was, uh, it was an amazing phenomenon, really. I, I guess other people experienced this the first time I ever had. Anyway, I'm telling you some of my personal experiences. Also, in this dry time, was the year that we decided to try a new type of gardening, and that was that that you you take this cloth type fat no not cloth well it's fabric bag and fill it full of soil uh, potting soil type soil so there's no weeds and then you put your plant in there and you set it along the the fence or or in your yard or wherever you want you can have your garden anywhere you can move it. If the sun isn't shining on it right, you can move it to another location. You can just get the effect you need. This this sounded pretty neat. Uh, So we planted some tomatoes, and I put them out in the yard along the fence where I could put a cattle panel up, make it higher so that we could tie the tomatoes up. It's kind of a new experiment. Uh, I went through the trouble of taking a log that was firewood, a big log, and I sawed slabs off of it and laid them on the ground so that I set these bags on this uh, little slab so that uh, you could weed eat around it and keep it neat and not be uh, uh, cutting into your bags with the weed eater. I'm telling you all this to say I got involved in this thing and, it, and I spent some time and so I had time invested. And then it quit. It wasn't raining. And I had missed one very important part of the equation. I needed to have put a drip system in it to keep it watered. And I learned the hard way because all that, all that effort started drying up. I'd go out and water them some and tomatoes looked pretty sad. The peppers weren't doing so well. I came to realize that I had to be dedicated and committed to that project enough to water them once a day. And that was no small feat. It took some time. If I spent that much in my devotions every morning, I was pretty well pleased that I had, I had given enough time that it was worthwhile. And now I had to double that time. I had to be devoted to, to the Lord and to my tomatoes, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. But <clears throat> the, the, the tomatoes and the peppers responded because I was consistent with water. And so they began to produce some tomatoes, but it was a struggle. And real hot days, if I didn't get it done if I skip a morning, I could see it. They would wilt down, and I'd make sure I get them watered the next e- that evening or the, make sure. What I'm saying is <clears throat> it really brought to my mind my, my reality. I'm standing here meditating while I'm watering these tomatoes every morning or in the evenings, and Marie would go out sometimes for a little outing for exercise for her um, her outlook on life, and she would uh, actually, maybe not for her own good, but for the good of tomatoes, she would make herself go out there and, and you once in a while see her sitting in the grass so she wasn't standing up and she was watering the plants, shooting the water across at them. She helped me. But while I'm doing this, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, you know, I really did this because I wanted to see fruit. I wanted to see nice fruit. I thought this was going to be a real neat experiment that you produce good fruit. We moved the tomato. You can move the tomatoes around where they weren't before, and so you avoid diseases. And I thought this was just going to be the answer. This could be it. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Marie uh, was pretty sold on the idea too. And early on, she would say, "See how nice they are when the plants were this tall. They didn't take much water, and they were doing really well. The ones in the garden were kind of struggling. They weren't as tall, and they weren't as green." And 
and it was like, see there, this is the way to do it. And that's kind of what took me off guard as they got larger and started putting on, putting on fruit. They demanded more water, more water, and more water. Well, when they started to show the effects of drought, the ones in the garden started turning green and they started growing because they had lots of reservoir for water. They had lots of soil. The roots could go further. They could reach out. And it was a different kind of soil. We had plastic on the garden, so it retained the moisture. And without much trouble at all, those tomatoes really flourished. And today, if you compare them, the tomatoes in the garden are some of them this tall in cages this big around, and they're way beyond the cages. The ones that we have in the pots, we're lucky if they're that tall, and they're not very big around. Now, they're making some tomatoes, but there's a big difference. I'm sharing that with you to help get your mind in the same gear that mine has been in. As I water these things, I'm disappointed that I have to spend so much time and not get any more fruit. I'm disappointed in, in some of the diseases that actually took place on these tomatoes that I thought were going to be disease-free. And I, I looked for remedies. I've tried remedies. I've sprayed them with some things that are supposed to. And, and now these are organic sprays. I try to try to keep it that way. Um, to take care of some fungus and wilt and some, some bugs. And fertility, I've addressed the fertility issues that can be that uh, uh, tend to affect or influence these problems that we were having. And they've responded. It, it's working, but oh, it's been a job. And then I've been thinking, God wants us to be fruitful. He has done everything possible to make it possible for us to be very fruitful, to be productive spiritually, to be a demonstration of what he can do in our lives. And it's called fruitfulness. Fact is, I want to, I want to call your attention to Colossians chapter 1. Um, verse 10, it says, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This th thought, and, and that verse really stuck out to me, and, and that's kind of what brought me to this message. God has, uh, want, he wants us to walk worthy of him and pleasing him. And in pleasing him, we're going to produce fruit. We're going to be fruitful. And it says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, that has something to do with the water. You see, the word of God is the water from heaven that produces fruitfulness. But are we like those bags that let the water leak out pretty quick? Are we like bags, the bags that, that we're growing those tomatoes in or those, those containers that are fabric? I've seen it happen. I put water in the top, and after I've got it saturated, it starts coming out the sides. And I realize that all day long, it's, if it's enough, in, if it's a little extra in there, it doesn't, doesn't really retain it. It lets it get away. And then after it uses what's left, then the air from, that's around it can help dry it out. And so it's this, this continual process. And it made me think of life. Is that the way life is for us? Do we allow the water to bring us nurture and nourishment? But then we get busy with life and our perspective and our values tend to 
be like those bags with holes in uh, that are porous, that, that let things slip away. I find it so interesting that God has put us here in the temporal realm with, and we have temporal needs and we have these temporal challenges to life. And I've wondered already, why does God allow us the, the potential of so many distractions when he would like for us to be fully committed to him, fully focused on him? Why do we have this back and forth? You know, we need to make a living. We need to work. And these are responsibilities. They're, they're normal. They're natural. They're appropriate. And so why is it that we have this, this I will call it, this tension in our life of needing to focus on Temporal things, earthly things, and yet allow God to have first place and be fruitful in the, in the spiritual realm. Well, that was bad design. God knew what he was doing. You see, to him, real fruit that he appreciates is only fruit that was produced by our willingness to produce it. We're not like the tomato or the pepper or any other thing in the garden that we just we just bloom and then it, what happens, happens according to the circumstances around us. That's, that's not the way God intends our fruitfulness to develop. Our fruitfulness develops by a willingness to commit to the truth, to the, the spiritual realities of God's value system. God wants us to align ourselves with his value system and allow his grace to work in our life to bring about fruitfulness, and that's what brings him glory. It's not that we just respond to circumstances and whatever happens, he, it's manipulated by him or circumstances. And there are a lot of people, and I think we all tend to be affected by that kind of thinking, is that circumstances in life are just what they are, and then when I respond to them, that's just, well, if my circumstances are bad, then you shouldn't expect as much fruitfulness from my life. If my circumstances are wonderful, then you can expect me to really excel in, in spiritual fruitfulness. And that's contrary to reality, the spirituality of what God really wants. And we'll, we'll notice some verses along that line. In Colossians 1, chapter 1, we've already looked at verse 14. I'd like to look at verse 28. It says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. So he's acknowledging that it's a struggle. He said, we warn every man. And what's the other? Um, and teach every man in all wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from the standard of the reality of the values of God, the word of God. That's where wisdom comes from. And so we need to handle this wisdom source with respect we need to realize that it's, it's the source where we plug into for proper nourishment and spiritual realities to happen. What does God really want from us? What does fruitfulness really look like? And I've already alluded to it or mentioned it. It's that we value what he values. And now I'll take just a few minutes to look at some of the negative things that, that what he doesn't want. He doesn't want us 
to allow the world's perspective and the temporal perspective to outweigh or to get in the way of our spiritual value system or his spiritual value system that we need to be embracing and imbibing and in reality demonstrating. In James chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Go now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we may go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. These verses came to mind when I was thinking about the value system. You see, the natural man tends to think in terms of here and now. I'm going to manage for my benefit, I'm going to do things for, that come to my mind that make me happy. I'm going to pursue happiness and the, and the benefits of life. That's the goal. And, and the, the challenge here is that uh, our life is just a vapor. It's, it appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And while we're here and while we're uh, experiencing the preparation for greater things in the next life. We're in the time of, tri of, of uh, testing and development, you might say. And our perspective should be that whatever God wills, that's what I want to happen. It's all right to make plans, but they should be sub subjected to the will of God. They should be uh, not, this is what's going to happen, I'm going to make it happen, but rather the perspective these are things that I see now I want to pursue and develop, but according to the will of God, he can change that, and I won't complain. <clears throat> How often do we complain when thing, our plans get changed? He goes on to say here in, in James, For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. Verse 16 says, But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. In other words, if we take our own perspective and put that on a plane higher than, than the interest in God's perspective, he says those kind of, and we boast, we say, I'm in charge of my life. He said that those kind of boastings are evil. That is not a surrendered attitude toward God's will. Well, some other things that, that uh, I want to notice, the negative, one of the things that the world's perspective is that money is king. You know, people are actually judged for being wise and smart if they have money, if they have been, uh, if they have been successful materially. That's the world's perspective. If someone has lots of money, if they have the power to change things with, with what they own, with their, with their pocketbook, uh, somehow they get, they get regarded as, as wise. James says in chapter 1, verse 10, but the rich, that he is referring to um, <clears throat> how this all works out, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace, the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And so, Wealth is not really 
a proper way to evaluate a person's character or their worth, their value in, in God's value system. Also in Psalm 36, 6, and there's many verses that, that we could go to, but I just chose these two for now or, or several for now. Psalm 30, 39, 6 is, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. That uh, sounds a little bit like what the, uh, Solomon wrote in some of the Proverbs or, or in Ecclesiastes when he talked about the vanity of life, the emptiness of life. So when we focus on material things, it's vanity, it's emptiness. And yet we have a lot of that influence in our time. That's, that's kind of the, the standard uh, in a lot of people's minds. There's another aspect of, of the world's perspective that we need to be careful about, and that is the self-serving focus. In 1 Peter 1.24 says, For all flesh is as grass. And it's interesting that James referred to us that way. Peter is also. It says, And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. We tend to think about how important we are and yet it says here in this passage in this in this verse that our glory is like and if, if we we somehow can impress people that we are somebody we we've accomplished something we have attained this self-serving focus we know what we're doing if it's not derived from the grace of God at work in our life and it's something that I'm I'm putting out there is my accomplishments it's pretty much vain. It, it's empty. There's another value uh, perspective that we need to be careful about. <clears throat> and in First uh, John, we are warned about it. And that is this thing of lust. We often couple this with, with the sins of morality or immorality. And yet, lust is, is something that affects a larger realm than that. It's actually... We can say it, it's anything that's inappropriate desire to satisfy or gratify ourselves inappropriately. In other words, we as people, we like, we like to be fruitful on our own terms. We like to have blessings. We like to have, be enriched with, with good experiences. We like life to be like we want it. And yet, we can be doing that for self-fulfillment outside of the will of God. And so uh, we might say it's an effort to be blessing ourselves, not seeking God's blessing. Or we might say it's a shortcut to fulfillment. I want to be fruitful in my perspective, the way I do things. I want, I want to be rewarded. Rather than, than allowing the power of God and his value system to be playing itself out in our life because of our surrender to him, dying to our self-interest, and seeking his will for our life, in 1 John chapter 2, we want to read verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth 
the will of God abideth forever. And he that doeth the will of God that's abiding forever is bringing forth the fruit and the fruitfulness that God wants. That's what he's designed. That's what he wants to see. And so let's look at what real fruit looks like, spiritual fruit. I think we could say in, in a nutshell, we could, we could encapsulate this in this thought, that faith that obeys with love by, by the grace of God, or the, the grace that's of Jesus in our lives. Loving obedience to comply with God's value system, not the world's. Loving obedience to God. And how that happens is through our experience of the power of grace that's at work in us because we have met the conditions for that grace to unfold and become a reality. What are the conditions for, for grace? First of all, we need, to, we need to acknowledge our sinfulness, our unworthiness, and repent. And when we have taken that, that perspective then we are at the point where we can yield to God and allow him to work in us. And that's an act of faith. It takes, it takes faith in believing that that works. And so we need to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and accept the requirements of the gospel, which are to repent. You know, when John came preaching the gospel about the gospel and bringing the, the way of Christ, he, he, what did he preach? Repentance. When Jesus began to preach, what did he preach? Repentance. It's the way to God. It's the way to grace. And what is grace? Grace is the power to allow God, uh, that, that God brings into our life to cause things to happen according to his value system or, or his virtue to be played out within our life experience. It's not something we can do on our own. We can't live a life of righteousness on our own. We can want to. We can try. And there's times when I believe we are and we do and we fail to recognize that there's more to it than just a, a desire. There needs to be that active faith that believes God and believes in the promises of God and that, that when we respond to the, the commands and, and, and obedience to what God lays out in his word, then we open the door for him to bring miracle working power into our life that we have right responses in a wrong response acting body and life. You, we have a natural tendency to live out things according to the natural aspect of our, our existence. We can demonstrate even when we, we know better or don't want to. There's times when, when we are following the carnal influence of our existence and we do things that we're ashamed of. Those are the things we need to repent of. And when it's an acknowledgement of that, of our shortcomings, our sins, and repenting, that, that that actually is an act of faith. And that act of faith opens that door for the Spirit to actually cause us to respond in right ways. We may be tempted to lash out in anger at somebody because it was justified that what they did was, was inappropriate. But because of the love of Christ that's shed abroad in our hearts, we can have a right response and we can respond lovingly rather than rashly. That's just one instance. Attitudes are 
I, I would say kind of a, the, one of the things that maybe are a sin of the spirit that we probably don't acknowledge like we should at times. I want to turn to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter six, and beginning in verse seven, to just illustrate what I'm sharing here. In the end, of, uh, the last part of chapter six is talking about we can't serve God and serve the, the devil. We can't serve two kingdoms; it's one or the other. And so, in verse seventeen, it says, "Wherefore come out from among them." And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's a promise. If you come out, if you repent of, your, of anything associated with the world's perspective that, that is, take, is playing itself out in your life, repent. Come out. Be separate from that. And not touch any unclean thing. In other words, you, you withdraw from the world's system of operation and by faith reach out to the righteous system of operation in faith and here's the promise it says and i will receive you and i will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the lord this is an act of god in our direction that's in our behalf that's something we can't handle we can't make happen but it's god's promise but it happens when we, by faith, reach out and re meet the requirements. And then it goes on to say, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, how, what of? From all filthiness of the flesh, that's the actions, the things that we can do that are wrong, and in the spirit. And this involves those attitudes. This involves the lack of forgiveness, the lack of of appreciation, lack of love. There's different things that are actually interactions of our spirit toward other people that can be cleansed. And it's, it says here, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This perfecting holiness is the same thought as we find in other scriptures where it says making you perfect, uh, the perfect man. And we're, I want to look at a couple of verses along that line yet. And so we can say that either way we respond. <clears throat> well, actually, I want to go back to Colossians chapter 1. I want to read verses six, uh, 4 through 6 and then drop down to verse 29. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have for all the saints, that love is love, the love of Christ by the grace working in their hearts to love all the saints. <clears throat> For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, and it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So you see that, that fruit, bring, uh, that, that the word of God, the word of the gospel, it says here, brings forth that fruit. How? It's by the grace of God in truth, sincerely committed by faith, reaching out, surrendering to God, letting him work in our lives to bring about this miracle of grace. And down in verse 29 of this chapter, I believe is, is a, a de uh, definition of what it was just said there. It says, wherefore also I labor, 
striving according to his work, his working, which worketh in me mightily. That's the definition of grace. But he says he strives, and that's where this individual was wrong about Wade's sermon. Because Wade gave us responsibility that we have a part to play in, in being the right kind of soil that God can bring forth fruit in our lives. And here he says, Paul says, I have to put myself into it. Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to grace. He calls it his working, which worketh in me mightily. That's grace. Well, the truth is that whether you choose one way or the other, you do choose, we do choose one way or the other. We yield ourselves as servants, either to the world's perspective or to God's perspective. We may say, well, we're neutral. We haven't really been reaching out and longing for God like we ought to, but, but uh, I haven't been chasing after the world, so I'm okay. Actually, in Romans chapter 6, verse 13 and then verse 19, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. You see the choices? As those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then in verse 19 he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members service to uncleanness and to iniquity, and in iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. And you see that word yield is something that we do. It's an active determination within ourselves to, to reach out and do things. We claim the power of God to live righteously. And that's works that are derived by grace. Just grace alone isn't what imputes righteousness to us, but it's the grace that causes us to live righteously in holiness, in holiness, that makes it a reality that we are fruitful, that we are yielding God the fruit that he so much longs for. And it mentions here, even so now you yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. If we're not living a holy life, God's grace doesn't cover. God's grace isn't at work. But we can get there. And I've already told you several times how we get there. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living God. You see, when you serve this world, you serve self. If you choose to do things out of your desire to get it done your way, self-fulfilled uh, living actually is this type of idolatry. We are, we are trying to feel, bring fulfillment in our life and fill the void that's there that God created for us to reach out and worship, reach out and connect with something beyond ourselves. But we feel that with ourselves and with the world's perspective, that really it translates into idolatry. In John, 1 John 5, 21, says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. And I think that's what he's referring to is those things that we seek for fulfillment that are not according to God's perspective. And maybe we should get practical and name things that, that could be. 
I think that's something we could and we can and we have. And we as a church have, have actually written things down. We've discussed things. We've, we've put them in a little green book, a lot of them. That's, it's not the whole list, and it's not what you live by, but it's something you can look at to see how we're doing. It's a kind of a gauge. Um, how is my life actually um, translating in the, the word into life experience that is fruitful? <clears throat> One of the things that is obviously important, it's kind of a foundational reality, I've already alluded to it, but here in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And it mentions some pretty serious sins. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. The covetousness, I think, is what's mostly in focus, but all those actually are a, a perspective of idolatry, seeking to fulfill the pleasures, sensual pleasures, rather than seeking God for pleasure, for, for not necessarily pleasure, but for uh, fulfillment, for joy, for the f- fulfillment of life. <clears throat> And so when, when we substitute with the earthly things and the essential things, that's actually idolatry. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, um, <clears throat> it's interesting, we, we had some lessons recently on James, but there's a lot in James that I could have gone to this morning about faith and works. We've already talked about those. But in uh, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. As I've said, the fruitfulness happens because of the grace of God at work in our life. It comes down from God. It's not something we we produce. I noticed a verse... In uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If I could practice the law and bring forth the righteousness that God deserves, then Christ died in vain. He didn't need to come. We don't need the gospel. And that's the kind of works that are wrong for us to lean on. Those kind of works. And people get confused. They say, that, that scripture says that we're not to uh, lean on works for our salvation. Well, that's the kind of works it's talking about. It's going back to the law, fulfilling the law, trying to fulfill the law to please God. But rather, as we acknowledge our, our inability to honor the law and ask for the grace of God and the power of God to live righteously, then we become doers of the law by the power of God at work in us, the grace of God. And I find it so interesting in Romans chapter 8, we have uh, the, the chapter that, that points us to the benefit of walking in the Spirit. But here's what it says in verse 3. 
For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he wasn't sinful flesh, but in that likeness, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's fruitfulness. When we're walking after the spirit we seek the spirit we ask for the spirit and of course that this that when we're doing that that's also part of that grace package the spirit is the one who brings the grace into our life that brings that miracle reality of being able to live holy in an unholy reality uh, uh, environment And so, let's not frustrate. That word frustrate has the idea of despising, not appreciating. I found one verse in the New Testament where that word, that in its original, was used four times, and this is the verse. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Those four words, despiseth, are the same word in the original as frustrate. And so we need to be careful. We do, not, we do not hedge against the grace of God and despise it or not appreciate and not give it credit for what it's supposed to do. Allow it to function in our life. I believe uh, that does the grace of God disrespect. It's despising it. If, if we try to just live a life on our own and we don't um, acknowledge the need to... to repent of our ongoing weaknesses and, and issues in our life and come to that point of surrender and allowing the flow of the power of God to bring about right responses in our life, in our life situation. I want to turn to James yet. Actually, it's, I want to go to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works with patience and patience experience and experience hope. Do you see fruitfulness here in God's value system? Patience, experience, and hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so we see how fruitfulness actually happens and how God can be pleased by our life and experience the fruit that he so much desires from our life experience. Just like I desire those beautiful tomatoes, those beautiful peppers, and other things, and I want to just say this: I was uh, blessed by the by the peach crop. It's it's over now. Um, it yielded a tremendous amount of peaches, and they were really good. But you know what? They weren't perfect. They had blemishes. Some of them had worms inside. Some of them had uh, Japanese beetle damage on the outside. They weren't perfect, and I was disappointed in that. What's God thinking about your life? Is he disappointed? Or is he getting the fruit that he so much wants?